Hi there, Neil here. Obviously, you love to travel. That's why you're listening to this podcast. Circa, our app available right now from the App Store on iOS, is filled with podcasts and guides for travelers. But more than that, it has a feature that we're calling the Circa Concierge, where you can have any question about any place you're traveling answered by real people on the ground. We're giving you a friend to ask anywhere in the world. And hey, if you've got questions about Barcelona, you might even get me. Because I love to help people discover my city. And if you're the same way for the city where you live, then we want you to become part of the Circa Concierge too. Right now, we're searching for concierges in Barcelona, Rome, London, Paris, Madrid, Venice, and New York City. Don't see your city listed? That's okay. We'll be rolling out new cities throughout the year, and yours might just be next. If you love where you live and love to help travelers, sign up now to be a Circa Concierge. Help out our users and earn tips for the knowledge you have about your own city or country. Head over to circatravel.com forward slash concierge and sign up today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What would come out of you if you could heighten one part of Neil? Um, I'm a very smiley man, but I'm a little bit of an anxious man. So I think I would be kind of... <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, I can see it already. I can. You got it down. <laughs> come on, everybody. We can do this. <laughs> I can do paper mache. <laughs> a destination isn't always a place. Sometimes it's a new way of seeing things. I'm Neil Innes. And I'm Andres Bartos. From Frequency Machine, this is Passport. Your ticket to everywhere. I'm always looking in schools, in the street, everywhere. Juggling, rope dancing, acrobatics, people can do that for centuries. You know, it's not new, but the way you will play with it, it's amazing. This is Pascal Jacob. He's the artistic director for Le Cirque de Demain, the circus of tomorrow. It might just be the future of world-class circus and performance art. It also might not surprise you to learn that he and the show are based in Paris. Because Paris is the capital of Bohemia, a city that's always reserved a warm welcome to artists. It's also Paris that gave birth to the circus back in 1782. After the pandemic, Le Cirque de Domain is gearing up for a world-class comeback this spring. But this isn't just any old circus. 
It's a 4,000-seat-strong mega-circus dedicated to the next generation of physical performance artists and a place where the potential for anything to happen happens. But you won't find any exotic tiger parades or red-nosed clowns peddling oversized flowers here. There are no dwarfs, lion tamers, or cannons blasting daredevils into the audience. Pascal is curating a circus free from cliché. The circuses of old, the kind once adored and sustained by an aristocratic French intelligentsia and elite bourgeoisie, are at a cultural crossroads. And with it, the clowns and other performance artists we associate with the big top. Although Ronald McDonald, the Joker, or Pennywise from Stephen King's It, may be the only clown names or faces most people would recognize, there is a whole rich world of clowning out there. But what does it mean to be an actual clown? And what do they think the world thinks of them? Today on Passport, Jennifer Carr heads to the French capital to tell us a story about performance art, pop culture clowns, and our need for live theatricality. I don't get clowns. As what? As something for kids, for children, or what? Just that they exist. Yeah. The whole the whole point of, I don't know, entertainment, but ambiguity. I don't know. There's something, yeah. a contradiction in terms about clowns. You just like brought a flashback. So in Barcelona in the early 2000s, there was like a clown craze. Not like like a, a rampage of clowns, but there was like a lot of people doing clown courses and this sort of thing. And a, a friend of mine, he didn't go to a course, but he went to a showing of a friend that was doing some clowning on stage. <laughs> And he came back like shell-shocked. And he's like, I just saw the worst thing I've <laughs> ever seen. It was just the guy dressed as a clown, came out on stage, silence. And then he just like, with both hands, reached out to the audience. And he was like, champion? And then he pointed to himself and go, champion. <laughs> and, it went, yeah, and it went back and forth. And the guy kept getting like more agitated. Like he was expecting the audience to do something. But it turned into this like Andy Kaufman thing where it lasted like 20 minutes the audience like started dispersing. People were like shifting in their seat. Like it never got to a point where people thought it was funny. It was just like some sort of weird. Deeply uncomfortable. Psychological experiment. <laughs> Champion? Champion. I think um, from what I learned chatting to a fair few clowns right in this episode. <laughs> oh, can, how could we be serious? I mean. They want to get a rise out of you, even if it's really annoying you, you know. I think if they don't, like, stir something in you, and that can be negative as well, then they haven't done their job. Okay. So maybe he was just one of these really annoying, provocative clowns. Yeah, when you're a clown, you can walk a room that's pretty... That's pretty Pretty strong. intense. <laughs> There's a fair few in Barcelona. There's a lot of clowns here. Yeah. It's like a really important yeah. like, circus school here. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because when you started making this show, everyone it was, was so like, funny. you want a clown? I got a clown. I know. Yeah. We were all like going through our phones. Clowns being coming like, out of the woodwork. I right know. Right in the center. <laughs> the other thing that I loved about this whole period of time was whenever Jen would just like take the opportunity to use the clown emoji, which yeah. is such a rare thing that you get to use. <laughs> Just like popped at it's the end of it. It's now in my like saved emojis. It's I one know. of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> so many great WhatsApp messages. These clowns. Like, these clowns are driving me crazy. <laughs> this, the clowns won't get back to me. Yeah, the, the clowns are not responding. Clowns have gone off the radar. We just lost, just, a, we just lost a clown. We just lost. lost another one. All right, should we do some clowns? Let's go.
we are always looking for something different or something new. You know, it's a, for us, it's a, it's the DNA of the of the festival. We are always looking for different, new, fresh, young, curious, incredible. You know, a lot a lot of possibilities, and we try to to keep our our mind completely open, we, because we, we we never know. The circus scene in Paris was once a place of cliched freakery and foolery, of slapstick clowns and grandiose equestrian performances. Many of the oldest and the most fabulous circuses in the world were born out of the French capital. In the 1700s, the circus was brought into European high society thanks to a British sergeant major called Philip Astley. It was originally a bit of a horse parade, with jugglers and rope dancers and clowns spicing up the action on the sidelines. The truth is, this kind of public performance wasn't technically original. Early African civilizations did acrobatic routines, the ancient Chinese juggled, and the Greeks practiced rope dancing. Astley's circus performance was arguably just a slick amalgamation. He brought it to France in 1782, to the Place de la République in Versailles. Immediately, Parisian high society was enchanted. A new genre of entertainment quickly gave birth to iconic circus rings. Le Cirque d'Hiver, Cirque Fernando and Cirque Medrano. Here, you'd find French Impressionist artists like Degas, Renoir, and Toulouse-Lautrec close to the ringside, sketching horseback riders, jugglers, and trapeze acts balancing on a tightrope. The Paris circus of old was an elitist affair, but today it's an entertainment form that cuts through every class distinction. What helped shatter the elitism? You know, after 1968, uh, in many, many countries in the world, in France for sure, but also in Scandinavia, also in Australia, also in North America, nothing was exactly like before. So it was a way to open doors and windows. With seismic social and political change that swept the globe off the back of the anti-Vietnam War protests, the civil rights movements in the US, and huge protests and revolutions taking place in Europe, the world would never be the same, including how people connected through humour and emotion. At the end of the 60s, at the beginning of the 70s, a lot of troops were starting to create a new way, a new circus. And very, very fast, the Ministry of Culture decided to put money on that. So it was a, a political decision, and um, it changed completely the thing. Circus at the time, this kind of circus, a different circus, another circus, a new circus, was exactly on the same level as theater, dance, or music. And, and the state, the government, decided to open a superior school in Chalon before everybody else. So it means it was exactly like a theater conservatory, you know, the top of the top. And because it was a public money, the institution was rich, so was able to offer a lot of possibilities to the student. What about today? For many countries, art and culture takes a backseat to industry and commerce. So it's really refreshing to hear Pascal rave about the circus being something that's designed for and loved by the masses. Before, the festival was presented in Cirque d'Hiver. You know, it's a building in Paris. 
It's a 19th century building, so it's a beautiful place, but it's very small. This is the place I told you about before, the home of the oldest circus in the world. When Alain Pachery decided to do the festival uh, in the Phoenix, we changed completely the things. Because in Phoenix, we can offer 4,000 seats. So it means we can offer some very, very cheap tickets. So in Cirque d'Hiver, it was not possible because it's 1,200, something like this. If you want to keep the business on a good level, we need to sell tickets. Bigger audiences, younger audiences, younger performers, accessible to the many and not just the few. And an atmosphere that's impossible to get from watching through a screen. Believe me, it's incredible because you have full school coming from Sweden, from Belgium, from different parts different part of France also. And the atmosphere of the show is incredible, really incredible. It's a, it's a football match. And what about the performers? I mean, what's his stance on finding a high-quality clown these days? If you can find one, I will be happy to hire. There is no clowns. It's very, it's very difficult. We are looking for, for uh, female clowns for the, for the show at the, at the end of the year, and it's really uh, complicated to find somebody. Hold on, I'm confused. Circus and clowns are like peas and carrots. How can you have one without the other? For Pascal, his gut instinct about performers is far more important than fulfilling any circus cliché. It's art over character, every time. Ten seconds. If it's boring after 10 seconds, I know it will be, it will be not good. It's stupid to say that because, you know, it's a, but it's there or it's not. You know, you need, you need to catch the audience immediately. That's some hardcore clowning. The seriousness. Yeah. You got 10 seconds, go. Yeah, it's a bit of kind of a contradiction, isn't it? Something that's all about fun and playfulness. And it struck me as like there's a militant approach yeah. to making the grade as a clown. One night could be completely different to the next, just yeah. based on the vibe of the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. You have to go with that and ride that wave of unpredictability. It's so weird because it's not like stand-up, right? Which is relatively recent. You still have that kind of pressure of like, okay, you've got five minutes to make this room laugh, right? But with clowning, there's like centuries of, yeah, you know? Yeah, ancestral clowns. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. from what I read about, about the, the clown schools, they're all like... Oh, they're boot camp. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's clown boot camp. This is not studying. This is, you're on you're on show, you know, and if you don't cut it in, like, the minimal time, you just get, yeah. The people will, you'll spend all week working on an act, and within, like, one minute, the teacher will just humiliate you in front of the class from the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. I mean, if your calling is to be a clown, I know that's so rough. Like, how do you tell that to your parents? It's a heavy burden, man. You know? <sighs> like, mom... <laughs> I want to be a clown. I'm taking my stick with the bag tied on the end of it. Exactly. You know, getting in the car with 18 other people. And I'm going to it's like to be a clown, to be to <laughs> not be the butt of the joke. Yeah. To like overcome the clown kind of stigma. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the clown stank. It's rough. Man. I mean, the clowns that I spoke to, they're so proud. So proud of their kind of their alter egos, if you like, you yeah. know. Um, but I think there's a detachment just to kind of get into a character. I don't think they directly associate. Somebody took me through the whole, like, how you find your buffoon. You have to find in yourself a certain thing and then put the volume up on those yeah. things. 
accentuating one little bit of yourself. Yeah, but it still has to be based on like tethered to the human. You can't just be, you know, honking and horny. (laughs) (laughs) Honking and horny would definitely be your clown. (laughs) That would be your double act. That's that's a clown. You you playing both parts. (laughs) (laughs) One sad and one quite happy. Charlie Chaplin, Laurel and Hardy, Piero, Marcel Marceau, Clown Dimitri, Ronald McDonald. Does the last one even count? Then there's the recent pop culture manifestations, Stephen King's It, Batman's Joker. Clowns have entertained and intrigued us for centuries, tiptoeing between the extremes of joy and horror, laughter and despair. Emotionally, Do we ever actually know where we stand with them? What's really going on behind the grease paint and the red nose? To figure out exactly why so many of us get our freak on when it comes to clowns, I spoke to the author of Bad Clowns and folklorist Benjamin Radford to get his take on things. Chorophobia per se is a relatively new thing and some would argue it's not really a thing Anyway, it's not, not, not really a, a medical diagnosis per se. It's more of a pop culture diagnosis. Chorophobia is the fear of clowns. It's estimated that one in 10 adults in the US have it. One of the first waves of clown paranoia that Radcliffe uncovered was in the 1980s, when a number of school kids from Massachusetts claimed a clown was trying to lure them into a van. Police never confirmed their reports. What about the 2016 clown epidemic that stretched from Greenville, South Carolina, across the Atlantic to the UK, and then all the way down to Australia? A nationwide epidemic of scary clown sightings has reached the Chicagoland area. Some people are concerned about their safety. It's not against the law to put a costume on and walk around. Where it becomes problematic is if somebody's causing problems. So just like anything, um, whether it's a clown or any other type of behavior, Clown pranksters and criminals came out of the woodwork all over the world. Mass sightings were reported across America. Clowns pranked people in shops, drive throughs and more sinisterly, they were also reported trying to coax kids out of playgrounds or into woods. The DuPage County Sheriff's Office has released guidelines if you do come across a clown. Those include calling 911 if you see a clown acting suspiciously not confronting clowns, and staying in a public place at a fair distance away from the clown. The clown epidemic actually made it into a White House press briefing. No, Obama didn't comment. In the pantheon of legitimate phobias, it doesn't even crack the top ten. I mean, fear of heights, fear of spiders, fear of the dark. Genuine fear of clowns is is pretty rare. Having written the book Bad Clowns, you know, it's... Uh, when people ask me about it, they're like, oh, I hate clowns. Are you afraid of them? Well, I don't run from them, but I just don't like being around them. Like, okay, well, that's not a clinical chorophobia. So what level of anxiety classifies as chorophobia? To the extent that people are uncomfortable with clowns, whether it's a clinical fear or not, what, what does that come from? And there's a couple answers to that. One answer is that Clowns, they have this sort of dual role. There's this sort of like this Janus face, right? Happy, sad, good, bad, this sort of binary character, which many people find fascinating and and is fascinating. 
From the minute I watched It as a kid, I was mesmerised and shit-scared all at once. That binary identity of good and bad, happy and sad, never really knowing where you're at. You know, clowns are generally liked, if not beloved, in certain contexts. Uh, in a circus, for example, clowns are acceptable because it's a circus, right? That's, that's what you're paying your money for. You go there, there's going to be this, there's going to be that, trapeze. Uh, and sooner or later, you're going to have a clown. Any respectable circus has a clown. And of course, many, many non-respectable circuses have clowns as well. Um, the problem comes in outside that context. The problem comes in when you see a clown at the bank or at the supermarket or walking down the street at night, right? Because then the question is, what the hell is the clown doing? Maybe it's the same uncertainty that got the late Heath Ledger and Oscar-winning Wahim Phoenix so much attention for their very different portrayals of original DC comic character, the Joker, the ultimate anti-hero. One of the keys to why their performances were so evocative and so successful was that no matter what, what perspective you brought to it, whether you think it's the, 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 the performance is ultimately about mental illness or you think the performance is about ultimately about X, Y, or Z, the answer is you're right. And why is that? Because it's a blank slate. With Joaquin Phoenix's performance specifically, uh, the most recent one, uh, it was fascinating to me to sort of see the reactions. Much of it was really vicious. I mean, people were people were pissed off, and it was interesting to me uh, that you know I had people I had friends of mine who were disgusted with the film and saw it as this misogynist fantasy. Other people said, "No, you totally misunderstood. It's about X, Y, and Z." And I'm just like, <laughs> then he did his job because. You all are discussing it and 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 uh, in you know protesting about it or going to see it, but in any event, it's being talked about. If you're indifferent to a clown's performance, then that clown has failed. <laughs> what the hell is this clown doing here? <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> a clown at the bank. The clown at night. Yeah, a yeah. night clown is the worst kind yeah. of clown. Yeah, can you imagine knocking on your door and like asking for directions? I'm just <laughs> thinking like street in Berlin, 2 a.m. Round the corner comes a fucking clown. Yeah, queuing in the Berghain, <laughs> his big red shoes. No, mate, not the right dress code. Uh -uh. Unless you're wearing assless chaps, you're not getting in here. <laughs> The clown, the clown no, epidemic. I'm not going like, to sleep tonight. The Obama presidency had to address the clown epidemic. Yes. Yeah, they did. Yeah. It got well, to that It got point. to the White House. Yeah. That's yeah. insane. It's kind of bonkers, isn't it? Like that tidal wave of people almost indulging that dark side. Yeah. yeah. You know, and getting about... away with it because they could wear a mask. Yeah. They could kind of technically have carte blanche to play it out. That cop, that sheriff where he goes, there ain't nothing illegal about putting a mask on. It's what comes after it, if it's a clown or not. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense that there would be a clown epidemic. I can't quite explain why. The dates are all like kind of related to big pop culture moments, right? They're yeah. like Dark Knight, I think, was one. And then, oh, the remake of mm, it. Yeah. It's I the mean, word epidemic. <laughs> it's just really bad. It's like you don't want to go outside if there's a clown epidemic. 
worse than COVID. There's no mask. <laughs> yeah. can't well, sanitize your hands from that. They're, but they're terrifying wherever you put them. They're a bit of the clown at the well, this, bank. This yeah. thing that where he's room like... Service clown. If, if, <laughs> if you service clown. Oh, that's honking and horning again. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you've come across a clown acting suspiciously, yeah. what is a clown not acting suspiciously? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, walking around a supermarket, anything, it just uh, feels... It's the out-of-context thing, isn't it? Yeah. It just freaks you out. But it does connect. It, it, it is what you were talking about, like the fact that you get to not be yourself. Yeah. And then if you take that to, you know, the extreme, you know, killer clown. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, now that we're properly terrified. Okay. Let's see where else, where, where Get- else Jen is taking us. <laughs> we'll be back to find out after the break. Performance, the world's greatest clown. And Jen gets a very special guest in our studio. We'll see you in a bit. Hi, everyone. Circa is recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circuitravel.com to sign up. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. There's a lot of... It's very strange because it's very simple and yet sometimes it's very philosophical, this this profession. And I think... uh, uh, one of the main messages for me in general in theater at Clown is that uh, when you're in theater, you're not on your phone. You're not shopping and thinking about your problems. You're just observing another human being move in the space. Yeah. <laughs> it's very meditative in itself. This is Igor. He's a Russian clown, a pro, one who's trodden the boards in some of the world's most prestigious theaters including Teatro Beleo in Lausanne, Switzerland, Venice Open Stage Festival, and the location for our first chat, the prestigious Teatro Dimitri. This is founded by the world-famous Russian clown Dimitri, and it's located on the scenic shores of Lake Locarno in Switzerland. Every August, this upmarket Italian-Swiss lake town becomes the global capital of auteur cinema, during the Locarno International Film Festival. Meanwhile, Teatro Dimitri is like the Ivy League for clowns. Here, students practice daily lakeside qigong, yoga and pilates to keep their physical performance up and their stress levels down. It doesn't sound so scary to me. For Igor, being a clown is all about spontaneity, play and connection. Theatre can, can have so many different ways to exist, no? But especially clown is is always with connection with you guys, with the audience directly. There is no like, hey, I pretend you're not here, no, in, like in theater. And clown is like, hey, we're here and we're playing, no, and I'm just pulling around, no. Or uh, sometimes it could be poetic and magic and profound, but I'm still letting you know that you're here and I'm here and I'm doing this.
So when clowns know we're there and we know they're there, at least we know where we stand, even if they're not communicating with words. Clowns uh, normally don't relate to text as a meaning because, as we like to say, actors play with the conscious and uh, clowns with unconscious. So it's always a pretext to play. Of course, the most rewarding kind of play is always unrehearsed, unfiltered, unpredictable. It's also fascination, no? Uh, I, I think it's always this proactive uh, attitude that uh, we as people very difficult to have. You know? Everything is fascinating. Is everything, even every error or something you didn't expect, is an invitation to something. Igor's ideology of what a clown is doesn't really tally with the freaky pop culture cliches. I wonder, do some clowns just wake up one day and decide to do this? Or were they born with the entertainer archetype programmed in? Is the desire to clown nature or nurture? If you believe in the nurture argument, Paris might prove your point. It's the European epicentre of performance theatre. Acrobatics, flying trapeze, cabaret, burlesque, the Moulin Rouge and many revered performance academies, including the super-prestigious L'École Internationale de Théâtre Jacques Lecoq. It's located in the 10th arrondissement, en rue de Faubourg, Saint-Denis. This world-leading school is one of the most competitive places on earth to earn some official credentials in melodrama, buffoon, tragedy, and other types of clowning. 90 students are accepted in the first year. In the second, only 30 are chosen to stay on. It's brutal. A performance boot camp, if you will. Australian Geoffrey Rush, Brit James McAvoy, and Aussie Isla Fisher are just some of the acting elite that made it through. Kiva is one Irish-born, Barcelona-living clown who also cut her teeth there. I was studying in a clown school in Paris, which is a very uh, prestigious and hard and heart-wrenching and beautiful school in the heart of Paris. Um, and basically, they, they choose half of the clowns to stay on. So the first year is all physical theatre, so it's all basically telling stories with your body in mm. a space. Um, mm. And then at the end of the first year, they say, OK, we'll keep you 35 and you 35. Good luck with you. Um, Grueling, and so they eh? so it's very you're... it's super hardcore I never realised that clowning a form of entertainment that's all about play and fun and creativity and making audiences laugh could be so gruelling it's super hardcore this thing that you had worked your ass off all week and then it's like no we don't even want to see it it's not up to standard so when they asked myself and another 35 friends of mine to leave at the end of the year i was completely heartbroken i had created my whole life i lived next to the school in paris it was my dream to go to this school despite them turning her and half the students away kiva's clown self still needed an avenue for expression i guess in her case the nature-nurture argument is 50-50. For me, clown is where my heart is because you can't, you can't fake it. Mm. You, can't, you can't predict it. I mean, you can't predict uh, 
improvisation either, but you're still on stage with your team doing the thing that you are enjoying doing, that you have, you know, prepared in a way. Uh, whereas clown, you could walk into a room and someone's phone goes off and then your clown just wants to play with that phone and then steals the phone and then creates a whole world around that. And so it's, it's extremely playful, which sometimes can be to your detriment. It's funny, she's talking about her clown like a pop star would refer to their stage persona. Her clown is kind of a she, not a me. A red-nosed alter ego. It's also extremely freeing to be in that moment. And I've had, you know, mad things happen. I've had people propose mid-show. And just kind of like, you know, talking about love in a show and then someone proposed. It was amazing. The whole place just went ballistic. I was doing a duo all about about love being... um, being not allowed basically love being becoming illegal in this kind of uh in this kind of absurdist world mm. uh, and someone just stood up and said no no i believe in love and, and proposed to his girlfriend wow. yeah so so yeah clan for me just lends itself to that real real in the moment kind of off the cuff spur of just okay we're here we're together uh which obviously is not synonymous with doing things online Online versus offline. Filtered versus unrehearsed. How does the unpredictability of clowning and real-life circus performances stack up against the pixelated digital entertainment of today? Is tech the greatest threat to an art form born from unfiltered truth? Looking at an actor act on stage with their whole body and the way they walk and the way they move and the way they interact with everybody... You can get lost in that more than almost anything. Like when mm. theater is really good. Yeah. One thing is when you're seeing a play and you've you've signed the contract about, okay, this is a story that's happening there. Yeah. But the difference being the clown is you're part of the story. Yes. There is no wall. There is no fourth wall. And all of us are in this. So that, that's also like part of the danger too. It's so much more vulnerable in a way, isn't it? You're, yeah. you're, you're, you as the audience, you're more vulnerable because you might get plucked out of the crowd. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're also vulnerable because they're laid bare in a way. Completely. There's no distractions. There's no screens. There's no, you know, 14 tabs open on your computer. It's just you and you're in that moment with yeah. these actors, with these performers. And I think it's like a present moment, which is probably one of the reasons why people love it so much. Yeah. Igor, the clown we heard from earlier. This summer, in the midst of lockdowns and no-shows, Igor ventured into one of France's, maybe the world's, wackiest clown communes, the Moulin Jean. The Moulin Jean is the home and laboratory of world-famous Russian clown Slava Palunin, best known as the clown in Cirque du Soleil's Allegria. He also created his own immersive snow show that travelled 30 different countries and earned him the Laurence Olivier Award for Best Entertainment. Today, his yellow turreted watermill and eclectic, ever-changing outdoor fairyland setting feels more Charlie and the Chocolate Factory than high-level performance art. But for clowns like Eagle, it's a mecca for dreams, fairy tales and the metaphysical art of clowning. Igor swung by Barcelona after his stay at the Moulin Jean to chat with us in the studio about what really goes on in Slava the Clown's quirky commune. It's, it's, it's a really, really, really curious place. 
<laughs> that's definitely. Um, well, basically, it's like uh, you have to imagine that it's it's an ancient uh, windmill, which used to be level, uh, yellow, and now it's painted yellow, even better. And there is right next to it, there's a river, and it's uh, already to start with. It's an amazing nature, and the amazing river. Like it's so close to the uh, coast, to the bank. Like the water is really up, but you almost don't see it flow. There is no like sparkles or movement on the surface, so it seems like it's a gro- like grayish turquoise mass of water just moving, but quite fast, yeah. But you don't see any movement, so it's already magic. Mm. The place itself, magic, in 3D. That word hasn't really been on my radar since I started to deep dive into the French obsession with theatrics. But it sounds like the Moulin Jean does a very good job at suspending reality and offering up a kind of fantastical blank canvas, the very thing that clowns thrive on. Of course, Teatro Dimitri uh, or stuff, it's, um, it's an educational institution, so there's different still atmosphere. Even I found it very liberatory and very open and, and to experimentation and stuff. But it still has that frame, no? Mm-hmm. academic frame and there the, the the only frame is i guess the space and some mild laws of the place no mm-hmm. and common sense but uh but there's kind of everything is permitted and let's not forget it's the home of one of the world's most intriguing enigmatic and living clowns russian slava polunin I just came now to improvise, basically. Okay. And of course, for me as a Russian, it's... Uh, and in general, I think, uh, as a clown reference, he's a big one. So, of course, it's inspiring to be in his environment. I, I, I think it's one of the like most primitive energy forces just to create, no? And we had it since forever, no? Uh, since we were kids also, but also since many centuries. And I think clown just has this, yeah, naive stupidity, but in a good way, you know, uh, this na- naive spontaneity, just, yeah, just to do, you know, to permit yourself to imagine and to create something which is not useful at all, <laughs> completely useless, but at the same time, not practically. Uh, in terms of imagination, uh, in terms of spiritual uplifting, it's really valuable. No? Igor is the most wonderful box of contradictions to me. He talks about the act and art of clowning as both useless and valuable, light and philosophical, in the same heartbeat. Is this the point? Are clowns meant to straddle the full spectrum of our emotions for the benefit of the audience? I have this na- uh, moment where I'm in underwear. <laughs> I wake up and I'm, uh, I, I wake up as my character. It seems like I slept, uh, slept for 100 years and there's a lot of audience in my house and I'm like, what the heck? And then I f- discovered that I'm in underwear and I cover myself with a sack. This was a scene that Igor played out on stage in front of hundreds of people. The typical worst scenario, bad dream. You know the one where you suddenly find yourself in a public spot with no clothes on. And I want to put them on my costume. And then, of course, uh, I go for my costume and, and the sack falls and almost shows my underwear and I take it back and la la la. And in all this game, it's not like I'm asking a love me. I'm looking like, oh shit, 
and I always share, uh, you know, uh, okay, how do I do it there? But and we we play together. What he's living out on stage, total embarrassment and humiliation, is very deliberate. He's acting out a nightmare so the audience feel a kind of vulnerability through his own, so that we don't have to. Yeah. Unconsciously, yeah. they think, what if I were to wake up and there was this audience? They don't think that, but it's con- unconsciously yeah. is arriving. You're sort of carrying their embarrassment for them. Yes. It's like uh, somebody said, Clown has to fall on stage so we don't have to fall. Mm, he takes the that. he takes the fault. He takes all that crap yeah. so we can liberate. Clowns as therapy and therapist. I hadn't thought about that before. They bear the burden for us, so we don't have to. I think people yeah do perceive that they just after good comedy, especially after good clowns yeah. that are very few, uh, you just feel relieved. Oh, a little light relief is definitely something I'm up for more than ever these days. But can clowns still hold this relevance in 2020? Is there a way for them to make a comeback in Paris? I want to believe there's a new day for clowns coming in the French capital, despite Pascal believing that clowns are a dying breed. Man. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice, right? I I do feel like... Maybe we do need some clowns. Right? Like I, I started off with the feeling like, who who the hell gets into this business? Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> it's it's <just> rough. <laughs> but then it's true. Like the good clowns, like as we were talking, as we went through our like list of like incredible clowns, including Sasha Baron Cohen, Buster Keaton, etc. It's true that they like unburden you of some of that weight of being a human. It's yeah. like pure emotion emotion unfiltered unregulated yeah. in the in all of its variants yeah i mean i i was a it, i am a huge fan of jim carrey and yeah. i just i do i feel like i feel a sense of the weight's been lifted from my shoulders totally. after watching him yeah and if you're eagle he's the one to say entertain that revel in it play with that you know like yeah. we we never lost it we've always had that as kids but we sort of get stamped out of you as an adult that playfulness is is like bad or something yeah it's like a weird mix. This is yeah, shit's like, deeper than I thought we were going to. It is, it, but it is like, it's, it's physicality, right? So whatever your physical presence is also defines like what you are, or what you aren't. Yeah. It's not just like what you project or what, you know, emotionally you tap into. It's literally how you hold the room. Absolutely. Yeah. Your body's instrumental yeah. in your presence in the room. Yeah. And being able to hold that presence without a single word necessarily. Yeah. That's how Hunk and Horny would do it. <laughs> Excuse me. You're making it so you have to put it in the show now. You trying do realize. To find a way. I'm trying to find a way to like just if if I touch Hunk and Horny once, I'm not gonna go back to it. It was I promise. Honking and horning. No, it was Hunk and Horny. <laughs> Red nose and grease paint at the ready. Our saved pins this week. We'll let you clown around in Paris. Number one is the Clown Bar. Inspired by the neighboring Cirque d'Hiver, that's Winter Circus, the interior of this très chic venue features a fitting Belle Epoque mural from the 1920s depicting clowns at play, along with green, yellow, and white tiled walls and a curving zinc bar. 
Great service, natural wines, smiles all around, and easy to find in the city's hip Marais district. Number two, Cirque Phoenix. The five and a half thousand seat Phoenix Circus is one of the largest circuses in the world. The absence of any internal structure enables all spectators to enjoy optimal visibility. This circus, without animals, offers high-flying circus acts and, of course, the spectacular annual Cirque de Doma. Tickets are on sale for the 41st event, which kicks off on the 28th of January, 2021. Number three is Moulin Jaune. It's home to a world-famous Russian clown legend, but also an open experimental laboratory and artistic commune. Just 45 minutes north of Paris in Crécy-la-Chapelle, clown Slava Poulain invites multidisciplinary artists and artisans to create an adventure where nature, creativity, and everyday life are weaved together into joyful, festive, and wonderful living. Occasionally, public events and tickets appear on the Moulin Jean's Facebook for you to enter into this normally private, magical world. Number four, Cirque d'Hiver. Built in 1852, the Cirque d'Hiver is technically the oldest circus of its kind in the world. Every winter, the Bouglion family presents a new show with an international cast of artists. Clowns, animals, acrobats, trapeze artists, tightrope walkers, and jugglers put on a magical show. Number five is the self-rhetoric clown school. If you've got a few days in the French capital and want to get seriously out of your comfort zone, self-rhetoric can show you the way of clowning and improvisation fast. Teaching the Yat Malmgren method, a series of opposing systems based on character creation, this same method was used to train British A-listers Sean Connery, Anthony Hopkins, and Tom Hardy. That's it for this week, guys. Next week on the show, we're off to South Africa, Johannesburg, to find out all about science fiction and the artists pushing Afrofuturism around the world. We'll see you next week. And as always, you can find us on Instagram at Passport Podcast or on the web at FrequencyMachine.com forward slash Passport. This week's episode of Passport was written and produced by Jennifer Carr and edited by me. Huge thanks to Ben Radford, Pascal Jacob, Kiva Murphy, and Igor Mamlenkov. We'll put appropriate links to all of those people, if possible, in our show notes. Our theme music is by the always clowning Nick Turner. The show is mixed and mastered by Julian Kuzneski. Eliza Engel is our production assistant. Stacey Book, Dominic Ferrari, and Avi Glijanski are currently sitting ringside getting their faces painted. They also executive produce the show, which is hosted by myself and a man who sometimes goes by the name honking and horny, Andres Bartos. We'll see you in the next place. <laughs> Ha, <laughs>